Today on the Matt Walsh Show, as the student debt crisis continues to spiral out of control, the Wall Street Journal publishes an article asking us to feel sympathy for Ivy League grad students who are drowning in six-figure debt after discovering that their master's, master's degrees aren't leading to lucrative jobs. Who would have thought? For some reason, I struggle to feel any sympathy for these people. We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including former media, media darling Michael Avenatti gets his prison sentence. Rand Paul looks to revoke the federal mask mandate on airplanes. And we'll discuss the latest alleged racism controversy over at ESPN. And our daily cancellation will cancel Scarlett Johansson for complaining in a recent interview that she is underappreciated and also underpaid. She makes like $50 million a year, though. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, everybody wants privacy when they go online, and uh, I, I think uh, most people think, well, you just put your browser in incognito mode, and that's all you need to do, and you get all the privacy that way. But uh, it doesn't always mean what you think. You know, we, we all take little risks every day when we go online, whether we think about it or not. We think our connection probably won't be interrupted by hackers. Our data probably won't be used against us. But using the internet without ExpressVPN, that just doesn't make sense. It's like driving a car without insurance. It's You're, you're taking a risk that you simply don't need to take. Why take that risk? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, whether it's your passwords, your financial data, your financial details, whatever it is. That's the kind of risk you're taking. It doesn't take much technical knowledge either to do it, just some cheap hardware. A smart 12-year-old could do it. I couldn't do it, but I'm not as smart as a smart 12-year-old. And your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. So what do you do about this? You get ExpressVPN. You can secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Walsh. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh. And you get an extra three months free at expressvpn.com slash Walsh. There are a lot of villains in the story of the student debt crisis. It takes more than one bad guy to get us to a point where there is now at last count... $1.7 trillion in total outstanding student loan debt. $1.7 trillion, by the way, is more money than currently exists in circulation in the United States. Now, most people aren't paying off their student debt in cash, obviously, but this is just a, a way of gaining perspective. There is more student debt than there is physical currency in the entire country collectively. How did we get here? Who are the villains exactly? Well, the universities would have to be at the top of the list. They're the ones charging exorbitant tuition fees for an education that is rarely worth the cost. And even when it is worth the cost, there is still no reason why it should cost that much. Much. Also, we should blame in equal terms the government, the banks, the public school system for pushing kids into the university system to begin with. Many parents, too, must take their share of the blame for pushing their own kids into this. And what about the employers who fuel this madness by requiring degrees for, from entry-level applicants who will be performing jobs that do not actually necessitate having a degree? We talk about all the jobs that need degrees, and most of the time, the need is artificial. There's no reason, there's no real reason why you, a person without a degree can't do the job. It's just that the, uh, the employers have put that requirement there artificially. The vast majority of jobs are learned by doing. So most jobs are learned, in other words, on the job. There's no reason why that expensive piece of paper should be necessary, and yet employers often require it out of, out of pure laziness because it's an easy way to whittle down the applicant pool without having to put in much effort. So all of these parties deserve blame. 
then what about the students themselves who take out these loans? Personally, I would much prefer to blame the powerful and corrupt institutions I already listed and the adults who should know better instead of kids just out of high school who, who are too dumb and naive to understand what they're getting themselves into. I mean, everybody is stupid at 18. I certainly was. And that's a good reason why 18-year-olds shouldn't be granted six-figure loans in the first place. It's also a good reason why they shouldn't have the right to vote, by the way. So I'm sympathetic to the idea that that many of the people saddled with this debt are victims. Um, They were exploited. I don't know what else you can say about, about saddling kids fresh out of high school with this kind of crippling debt. Does that mean that I think the taxpayer should have to pick up the tab and foot the bill for student debt forgiveness? Absolutely not. You cannot undo the exploitation of one group through the exploitation of another. If you want to grant some kind of student debt forgiveness for some people by seizing the endowments from these universities, then maybe we can talk. But the only thing more unfair and immoral than handing out massive loans to ignorant 18-year-olds is forcing taxpayers who didn't take out the loans to pay them back. And the college graduates who, who demand that such a system be put in place for their sake immediately lose all sympathy from me. You have all this debt, I'm sympathetic. But the moment you point to me and say, and say to the government, no, force him to pay it back. No more sympathy. You're no longer a victim the moment you try to right the wrong done to you by committing a wrong against someone else. Someone steals your car, I feel bad for you. You steal my car in exchange, and now you're just a damned thief, like the guy who took yours. That's how that works. But there are some supposed victims of the student debt crisis who ought to engender no sympathy at all from anyone in the first place. The Wall Street Journal just published a piece yesterday which uh, highlights this group. The headline, alongside a photograph of a man in his 30s looking sad and dejected, reads, quote, financially hobbled for life, the elite master's degrees that don't pay off. Columbia and other top universities push master's programs that fail to generate enough income for graduates to keep up with the six-figure federal loans. This is an article all about the pathetic saps who took out massive loans to pay for graduate school, Ivy League graduate school, and now are, as the headline suggests, financially hobbled for life. Now, something to keep in mind as I read some of this to you, and, and, and this is very important. The average age of a grad student is 33. And that means that a great many of the people currently in grad school are my age or older. So these are not kids. These are grown adults. So here's what the article says. Quote, recent film program graduates of Columbia University who took out federal student loans had a median debt of $181,000. Yet two years after earning their master's degrees, half of the borrowers were making less than $30,000 a year. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it kind of is. Uh, $30,000 a year, that's minimum wage. And you took out $181,000 in debt to go to an Ivy League, you know, master's degree, and you're making a minimum wage. Um, anyway, continuing, the Columbia program offers the most extreme example of how elite uni- universities in recent years have awarded thousands of master's degrees that don't provide graduates enough early career earnings to begin paying down their federal student loans. Recent Columbia film alumni had the highest debt compared with earnings among graduates of any major Uh, university master's program in the U.S., the journal found. The New York City University is among the world's most prestigious schools, and its $11.3 billion endowment ranks in the nation's eighth, uh, ranks it the nation's eighth wealthiest private school. Okay. 
Pausing for a moment. Um, a master's degree in film. For what purpose? You're going to get out of grad school at the age of 36 or whatever, 35, a broke, paralyzed by debt, and then yada yada, you're a famous film director. Is that the plan? You can't yada yada through that. What's What exactly? Fill in the blanks there. The problem is that, that nobody is going to see a film simply because the director has a master's degree. Here's a conversation that has never occurred on planet Earth one time. Okay, this has never, I'll, I'll be the first person to say this. Hey man, let me tell you about this movie I saw. It's really worth watching. It's great. Uh, you should see it. First of all, uh, the director has a master's degree in film studies. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about most master's degrees. There are a few useful ones. But for the most part, grad school is essentially a glorified Ponzi scheme. So back to the article. It says, at uh, New York University, graduates with a master's degree in publishing borrowed a median $116,000 and had an annual median income of $42,000 two years after the program. The data on recent borrowers show. At Northwestern University, half of those who earned degrees in speech language pathology borrowed $148,000 or more, and the graduates had a median income of $60,000 two years later. Graduates of the University of Southern California's Marriage and Family Counseling Program borrowed a median $124,000 and half earned $50,000 or less over the same period. And then the article starts getting into uh, the specific sob stories of some of these pathetic rubes who mortgaged their financial future just so they could brag about having a master's degree. I'm not going to subject, subject you to very much of, of this portion, but here's a taste. Um, quote, there's always those 2 a.m. panic attacks where you're thinking, how the hell am I ever going to pay this off? said 29-year-old Zach Morrison of New Jersey, who earned a Master's of Fine Art in Film from Columbia in 2018 and praised the quality of the program. His graduate school loan balance now stands at nearly $300,000, including accrued interest. He has been earning between $30,000 and $50,000 a year from work as a Hollywood assistant and such side gigs as commercial video production and photography. Matt Black graduated from Columbia in 2015 with an MFA in film and $233,000 in federal loans. He signed up for an income-based repayment plan that leaner that in leaner years requires no remittance from him. With interest, his balance stands at $331,000. Mr. Black, a 36-year-old writer and producer in Los Angeles, said he grew up in a lower middle-class family in Oklahoma. He earned $60,000 in a good year and less than half of that in dry stretches. The faculty at Columbia was stellar, he said, but he blamed the school for his calamitous financial situation. He said, quote, we were told by the establishment our whole lives this was the way to jump social classes. Instead, he feels such goals as marriage, children, and owning a home are now out of reach. Okay. Certainly, Columbia is partly to blame for his calamitous financial situation. They're the ones offering this utterly worthless product. A master's of fine arts in film. Worthless. No value. And, and they offer it, and they make enormous profits off of it. If they were in any other industry running a scheme like this, they'd be sent to prison. What these colleges are doing is criminal. They are selling things for enormous amounts of money. Knowing that they are plunging their students into a lifetime of debt, and they also know that what they're selling has no value. Any other industry, you go to jail for that but not for universities. 
So yeah, I, I blame them all day long. But do you know who else is to blame for Matt Black's calamitous financial situation? Matt Black. I mean, he said it himself. As an adult, a grown adult, he took out $233,000 in loans simply because he'd been told that it's a good way to, quote, jump social classes. He did it because he wanted to feel smarter and better than you, and now he's broker than you, and I bet he feels dumber too. This is vanity, materialism, greed, not just on the part of the university, but on the part of these adults who are buying what they can't afford, hoping it'll be a shortcut to elite status. The whole thing is a mess. From the undergrad level to the grad student working towards his PhD in finger painting, it is all, to borrow a term, calamitous. And it's only going to get worse. You see, there is no real remedy as long as we keep pretending that the best path for everyone is to spend the first 35 years of their lives sitting in classrooms and accumulating pieces of paper and letters that they can put next to their names. The answer is, is, is everyone's talking about, well, how do we make it cheaper? How do we make it uh, more affordable? How do we make it so more people can? No, 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 no. That's not the answer. The answer isn't to, to make sure more people can do this really stupid, calamitous thing. The answer is to abandon this path, or at least to let people know that there are many other paths aside from this one. You may have been told that you need to whittle away the first third of your life in classrooms, but the people who told you that were lying. They were literally selling you something. You don't need to. And most likely you shouldn't. There are some exceptions, but for most people you should. Figure out what you want to do with your life and then go and simply do it. You want to be in the film industry, then just go and try to do it. There's a really good chance you'll fail, but there's also a really good chance you'll fail with a master's degree. You still have more debt at the end of that failure. Failure is part of life. You want to do anything worth doing, there's, there's, a, there's a, a really good chance of failure. So just go and do it. You might need some college, depending on what you want to do, or some kind of formal education outside of high school in order to fully achieve your goals, whatever they are. But there is a very good chance you don't. There's a good chance you don't need any of that. And it's almost certain that you don't need any kind of grad school. That's the truth. And if we really want to solve this problem, we need to start telling it. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now I want to tell you about one of our newer sponsors on the show, Carnivore Trading. And uh, I was happy when Carnivore Trading reached out because I'm, I'm kind of a perfect customer for them. I'm interested in getting involved in the market and stocks and investment. I just I don't know very much about it at all. Uh, and that's why Carnivore Trading is great. Listen, Wall Street has been lying for years, saying a measly few percent is a good return on our stocks. It's not. And also that trading is so complex, you need a financial advisor to do it. You don't. All you need is Carnivore Trading. Carnivore Trading is an anonymous team of elite strategists. They're legends among Wall Street heavy hitters, and they've gone a bit rogue. For the first time, they're inviting everyday folks like us, like me, to uh, to see and mirror their explosive trades. And that's how, that's how you learn. You learn from the people that are that not only know about it, but are, are doing it. And you can see that they, that they know how to do it. And that's the key here. If it sounds too good to be true, it, it's not. Carnivore will let you see the trades they're making right now for two weeks free. So 
Go to GetOurTrades.com and use promo code Walsh for two free weeks. And if you join, you'll get Carnivore's industry-leading promise that you'll generate three times your fees after your annual paid subscription, or you'll get a 100% refund. You're not going to get that kind of guarantee anywhere else or this service anywhere else. So go to GetOurTrades.com, promo code Walsh, GetOurTrades.com, promo code Walsh. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. All right. Well, uh, not a headline, but I, I just I, I think it's uh, we should acknowledge it was a reporter's birthday yesterday in the White House press pool. Um, some reporter's birthday, and Jen Psaki made sure to acknowledge it. Now you, I'll play this for you, and just ask yourself: Is this the kind of relationship that you want the media to have with those in power? If democracy dies in darkness, as the Washington Post says, well, then what's happening here exactly? Let's uh, let's let's watch. Hi, everyone. Hello. Happy Thursday. <laughs> Is it Thursday? Happy I said Happy Thursday. Well, I was going to say I did hear it was Steve Holland's 29th birthday. <laughs> so Happy 29th birthday. I am a terrible singer, but I am willing to lead a song here if you are all game. It may be. It may be. Who's with me? Someone here has a good voice. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Steve. Happy birthday to you. All right. I will also note. Brian Karam, excellent voice. I don't know what you do with that, but that's that's one thing I learned today. One bit, isn't that sweet? One big happy family. Isn't that nice and cute to see that? Media and government getting along so well, not disturbing at all. How do you go from that to she's she's giving the the press briefing. How do you go from that to, to holding her feet to the fire and trying to get to the truth? Well, you don't. There's no way to transition that, but they have no plans in doing that in the first place. Also, the other thing that comes to mind when I listen to that is, first of all, she, she really does have a terrible... She makes me sound like Pavarotti with my singing voice. But also, the, the, the Happy Birthday song is just a terrible song. It really is. We need a, we need a different... Can we, as a, as a people, come together and come up with a better song? It's a bad song. Then again, I'm anti-birthdays. I, I will say, speaking of birthdays... Um, and usually I'm a curmudgeon about birthdays, and I don't like the birthday song or anything. But I was recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I, there are times when I think celebrating a birthday is, is okay. And there, there are a few occasions when even I can appreciate the birthday song. So we were at a, I was at a restaurant with my wife like two weeks ago. And this guy starts, uh, you know, starts clanging on his, his glass to get everyone's attention. And then he lets us know that his, his mom, who's sitting right next to him, is, was celebrating her 100th birthday that day. And then she, he led the entire restaurant in, uh, uh, in singing happy birthday for his mom. And I, I thought, I even sang. Can you believe it? Well, I didn't really sing, but I, I, I lip-synced, which is more than I'll usually do. Because I thought, you know what, 100 years, yeah, you earned yourself that. And then we looked over in the, uh, the booth couple down from there. We noticed there was a, an old couple, had to be in their 80s, and they were sitting there and they were, they were holding hands and looking deeply into each other's eyes in their 80s. My wife's looking at that and we've got the 100-year birthday 
and uh, my wife is saying how cute everything is and how nice. And, and then and then I and I appreciate it. And I said to her, and these were my exact words. I said, uh, "There's a lot of wholesome shit happening here tonight." Which just to prove that I, I have a romantic side too. I can appreciate these moments. All right, uh, I can appreciate this moment too from the Daily Wire reports, quote, a New York judge sentenced disgraced lawyer Michael Avenatti to 30 months in prison for attempting to extort Nike of up to $25 million. The case is one of several Avenatti is currently involved in. While he was addressing the court prior to the judge's sentence, Avenatti reportedly cried. Um, Judge Paul Gardeffi of the Southern District of New York ripped the lawyer during his sentencing, saying that his conduct was outrageous. He, uh, so on and so forth. And now he's looking at 30 months in prison. Um, personally, he committed a crime. He's going to jail. He deserves it. That's fine. Um, the fact that he tried to extort Nike, I don't really care about that. Nike is probably the least sympathetic company on earth. Uh, and the great thing is whether you're on the right or the left, you've got plenty of reasons to hate Nike. So I don't really care that he did that. What I do care about, though, are he's, he's actually got, he's, he's facing criminal charges. He's got two or three other cases where he's facing criminal charges. And the more serious things he still has not gone to trial for, including, I think, in California, he's accused of defrauding many of his clients. And these are just normal people. This isn't Nike. And he's accused of stealing money from them. You could read the details of that. Um, if you want to know what a, what a scumbag this guy is. Trying to extort Nike, that just makes you really, really stupid. Makes you dishonest, but also incredibly stupid. You're not going to get away with that. Defrauding his clients the way that he has, um, that makes you stupid also, but an incredible scumbag. And now he's going to prison. And uh, so it's, a, I think, a good time to go back, a little trip down memory lane, and see how the media treated this guy not all that long ago. We're not going back 15 years. It's a couple of years ago. This is a, a put together, I believe, by the Washington Examiner, a nice little montage of the media and their treatment of, uh, of Michael Avenatti, who now is going to prison for extortion and is going to be getting more prison time for fraud and everything else. But here's what the media was saying about him just a couple of years ago. He's Donald Trump's worst nightmare, Michael Avenatti. Joining us once again is Michael Avenatti. Let's bring in Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, thank you very much. He's out there saving the <laughs> Look, country. Don Meacham says he may be the savior of the republic. You are something of a folk hero now. I owe Michael Avenatti an apology. I've been saying enough already, Michael. I've seen you everywhere. What do you have left to say? I was wrong, brother. You have a lot to say. I uh, am just dying to hear what you think. These people all like you. I'm the only person right here Donald Trump fears more than Robert Miller. We think you guys are the tip of the spear that's going to take down Donald Trump. Right. Michael Avenatti's a beast. Okay, that's true. And he, he's a beast. He's a beast. I hand it to yeah. her and I hand it to Michael Avenatti. But he has a great, bigger calling here that being a lawyer is minimal compared to what he's doing. No one has talked tougher directly to Donald Trump on TV than Michael Avenatti. And Donald Trump is afraid to mention his name. Okay, so you get the idea. It, it goes on for like another minute. That was the Washington Free Beacon, by the way, put that together. Uh, it, it, I mean, if they were capable of shame, they would feel it, but they, they aren't. So it almost feels pointless to even bring this up. They don't care. And it's not like, it, it, it's not like anyone was blindsided by this. No intelligent person is shocked 
When you find out that Michael Avenatti is committed extortion, is accused of fraud, no, no one, no one is going. My, Michael Avenatti did that. I can't believe it. Of course, it was clear from day one. The first time I laid eyes on the guy and heard him speak, it's like, okay, this guy's a scumbag. This guy's a rat. That's that's very clear. Then we have the, the worst one. I do I do want to play this. This is the worst one um, of all from The View. And uh, this gets... So what you just heard there is hero worship of Michael Avenatti. And now we get into full-on deification. Listen to this. Lately to me, you're like the Holy Spirit. You are oh. all places oh at all times, right? <laughs> I mean, you. I, I do. I see you all over cable news. I see you. You know, there is a, a, a seat available if you want to be a co-host at The View. You might, you know, there's people here you can pitch. There's Anna Navarro. Like the Holy Spirit. That is, uh, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is literally the unforgivable sin that she committed. But again, doesn't care. No shame. No embarrassment. Um... And uh, Michael Avenatti going to prison. Okay, number two, also from the Daily Wire, it says Senator Rand Paul is planning to introduce legislation to revoke a federal mask mandate for travelers on airplanes. The uh, TSA has continued to mandate that all travelers wear masks on airplanes with limited exceptions as many state governments have rolled back COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, The current TSA mandate is in place until at least September 13th. And Paul tweeted on, Thursday, when the Senate returns to session, I'll be introducing an immediate repeal of the mask mandate on planes. Enough time to stop this farce and let people travel in peace. There is, there's no reason. There's never been a good reason for it, in my opinion, especially now. I mean, that, that's the absurdity of it. Living here in Nashville, and I've done a lot of flying recently in particular, and you walk around all day, no one's wearing a mask anywhere. But then you go into an airport and magically we're all, now we all need to wear a mask. There's no reason to do it whatsoever. It, it, it's, they may as well, to, to anyone who says, yeah, well, there might be no reason, but it's, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not, it's it not, it doesn't cause any real problems. Well, first of all, it does. We, I talked a few weeks ago about the incredible skyrocketing rise in violent incidents on airplanes. I don't remember the exact number, but usually it's something like there's a hundred or something a year across the entire country where there's some sort of unruly incident among passengers. People get kicked off. We're at like over a thousand incidents and we're not even close to through the year yet. And almost all of that is being driven by the mask thing. So it is causing problems. It's making people unsafe when you have these incidents happening. But also, imagine if uh, they they may as well decree that when you're in an airport, you have to hop on one leg. That's what you have to do. When you're in the airport, hop on one leg. Just because. And if you don't, you get kicked out. Would you go along with that and say, well, all you're doing is hopping on one leg. It's not a big deal. It's utterly arbitrary. That's why it's a big deal. There's no reason for us to be doing this, yet we're told to do it. And there are significant consequences if we don't. Uh, so, at least Rand Paul's on top of that. And I'll be, I'll be interested to hear what the arguments are from all the people, especially the Democrats, who will oppose this move. Because you know they're going to. 
next from the Hill, it says job openings held at a record high of 9.2 million in May, while resignations dropped slightly from a historic peak. The number of open jobs on the final business day of May changed little from the peak set in April. Um, quits fell to 3.6 million from a record high of 3.9 million in April, but remained well above levels seen earlier in the year. And so this is the same story that we've that we've seen, and it's, it continues. Record numbers of, uh, of open jobs. We've got companies that are begging people to come work for them. I'm sure you've seen the same thing. I see these signs all the time now, even in fast food places, begging for employees, uh, offering signing bonuses. I don't remember ever seeing that at a McDonald's before, but now I see it all the time. And with all the traveling I've been doing, I've, I've been in way too many McDonald's, I have to say. And uh, many of them have that, offering a signing bonus. I guess the NFL or something to McDonald's employees, but they can't find employees because the government has made it profitable to just stay home. And you can't, you can't have a functioning society that way where doing nothing is an option. Doing nothing at all. When you make that an option for people, you just cannot function. as There, there, is, there is no society that has worked that way. We could have millions of people choosing to do nothing. It's not like they're dropping out of the business world because they're working on the farm. You go back 200 years ago, most people didn't have quote-unquote jobs, but they were, they, they were still working every day to live. Now try having a society where people aren't in a job, but they, also, they aren't doing any other kind of work, and they're just sitting at home. Next, uh, speaking of businesses, here's a tweet from Matt Jones, who is, according to his bio, an award-winning entrepreneur. And um, this is not an award-winning idea, in my mind. He says, he tweeted, now everyone's coming back to the office. We've upgraded our lanyards, so we all know where we're comfortable. And then you see there are three lanyards that I guess the employees, I don't know what kind of company this is, but the employees at this company, they, they could choose between three different lanyards. There's a green uh, an orange and a red. And the green signifies that you're okay with hugs and high fives. Orange signifies okay with talking, but not touching. And uh, the red says, hi, I'm keeping my distance. And all the employees are supposed to wear one of those to signal to each other where their comfort level is in this post-COVID world. Is there a lanyard for adults who don't need to communicate through lanyards? Because that's the one I would choose. Also, another question, what about colorblind people? Some people can't tell the difference between red and green if you're colorblind. Um, so they're going to be charging in there trying to bear hug the red lanyard people, which actually is pretty great, come to think of it. Although, I, I mean, who is hugging at work anyway? Sounds like a, it's a literal invitation for sexual harassment complaints. Hug, okay with hugs at work? Maybe there should be another lanyard, a dark green, which says, um, I want to hold my coworkers in an erotic embrace and whisper my sensual fantasies into their ears. I mean, if we're hugging, we might as well go all the way around the bases, I guess. Uh, but you know, the thing is, I, if I had to choose one of these, really, if I had to choose one, I would go with red. I would go with the stay the hell away from me, you freaks lanyard, but not because of COVID, just because I'm an antisocial hermit. And frankly, as an antisocial hermit, I'm, this is one of the things that has really bothered me over the last year, is to see my culture and my way of life being appropriated by the COVID people. 
And so when I when I just operate the way that I always have, keeping my distance from people, now it's assumed that I'm worried about COVID. When no, that's not it at all. I had this experience on an on a elevator a couple weeks ago. I was, I was on the elevator and um, then someone comes running down the hall, this guy, and he's like, oh, hold that, hold that. And of course, I'm not holding the elevator for you. I just stood there and it closed. You can catch the next one. It'll take 20 seconds for the next one to come. And, uh, and then I felt bad, not because I didn't hold the elevator for him, but because I, I realized he probably thought I was afraid of COVID and that's why I didn't want him on the elevator. No, it's not that at all. I just don't like human interaction. That's it. Not COVID related. All right, finally, uh, so I've been meaning to talk about this for a few days. Rachel Nichols over at ESPN, um, she's an ESPN personality, and she was accidentally, I, I'm still not sure exactly how this is supposed to have happened, but she was having a private conversation with someone, and she was accidentally, quote unquote, recorded on, on someone's cell phone in this private conversation, complaining that ESPN had given her NBA hosting gig to a black female personality at the channel, and, and she was saying that she'd been given that job for diversity reasons. And this, this recording was circulated around ESPN, and it was like, this happened a year ago, and it was, people knew about it at ESPN, it kind of made the rounds, it never went public, um, and, uh, and now suddenly it is public, and first of all, here is the, this is from the New York Times, they released it, here is Rachel Nichols talking about this issue, here it is. So they said to me, hey, instead of hosting the NBA Finals, like, why don't you do Doris's sign-on reporter job for the NBA Finals? Because guess what that would clear the way for? Uh, for her to do a full time. For Maria to do the hosting for them. Yeah. So I have declined. I don't know what their next move is, but they are feeling pressure because of all of that, and um, I'm trying to figure out like how to just, you know, my thing is like, I, you know, I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football, she covers basketball. If you need her to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your like crappy long time record on diversity, which by the way, I myself like know personally from the female side of it, like go for it. Just, you know, find it somewhere else. Like you're not gonna find it with me and taking my thing away. So that's Rachel Nichols. She's the the white woman, and she was replaced by that was a conversation from last July. And uh, Maria Taylor is the woman that she was replaced by for hosting the NBA Finals. Um, and as it happens, another big coincidence here that Maria Taylor, who got the the hosting gig, and remember this. So this this audio has been circulating around the company internally. Everyone knew about it. Um, Maria Taylor's contract was, she, she was up for a, a contract extension. She was negotiating a contract and that's going to be happening in the next week or two. And so right when this contract negotiation is happening, that's when this uh, audio goes public. What a big coincidence. And now uh, Rachel Nichols had, so she had been taken off of the hosting gig and it had been given to Maria Taylor. That's what she was complaining about. Now that this has gone public, she was removed also as a sideline reporter, which is what she had been demoted to. And she was replaced by a woman by the name of Malika Andrews, who is also a black woman. So she was, she was complaining, you know, that she had been replaced by a black woman for diversity purposes. And because of that complaint, rather because the complaint went public, 
ESPN punished her by replacing her again. Maria Taylor, though, by the way, she finally spoke out about this issue. She had been kind of quiet about it. And uh, she finally tweeted yesterday. She said, during the dark times, I always remember that I am in this position to open doors and light the path that others walk down. I've taken some punches, but that just means I'm still in the fight. Remember to lift as you climb and always keep rising. Okay, so she's the, you know, she's the hero and also the victim in this situation. Clear from her tweet here. It doesn't even make, why, I don't watch ESPN and I also don't watch the NBA. And I don't care who hosts it. But it certainly seems very plausible that Rachel Nichols is correct in her original assessment. If she had had this job and she was good at it, if that's the case, and then she was suddenly taken off of the job, right, when the the BLM stuff was, uh, was happening last summer, replaced by a black woman, really good chance that it was done for political and, quote, diversity reasons. But why would ESPN shy away from that? Are they supposed to be open about that? They're trying to give an opportunity to, uh, you know, trying to diversify and give an opportunity to an underrepresented person. Meanwhile, Rachel Nichols is woke and leftist herself. At this point, you couldn't possibly work at ESPN if you're not. And, uh, you know, she supports BLM and all that kind of stuff. And this is what she gets for her trouble. That's the way it always goes. But these people will never learn. Um, I said that was the final thing, but I, I, I can't forget about this. There is one thing more important than anything else we've talked about so far today. Um, you know, the, we, we've heard a lot of, uh, there's been a, a lot of effort to get people vaccinated, all the holdouts. Joe Biden is going to be going door to door. But a big part of the effort has been all these songs that we've heard. And uh, the rapper Juvenile, back from the 90s, you may, re- you may remember him if you're a 90s kid. He did a, a remix of his uh, Back That Ass Up, or rather Back That Thing Up, the radio edit. And uh, only now it's Vax That Thing Up. And I just thought we should play that for you because it's pretty great. Here it is. Been a online day chat, find a may chat, open up the okay ass, okay yeah, profile picture looking tight chat, nice chat, got your bio reading right chat, precise chat, but before you find a day chat, you gotta wait chat, gotta go back to nature, get it straight chat, girl you look good, want you fax that thing up, use a handsome young brother, want you fax that thing up, they in real life, you need to fax that thing up, feeling freaky all night, you need to fax that thing up, girl you look good, want you fax that thing up, use a handsome young brother, want you fax that thing up, they in real like you need to vax that thing up Feeling freaky all night You need to vax that thing up I know you can't stand it No holding hands, chick But when we get the shot We gonna be romancing Girl, you could be the queen At the quarantine We could meet up at the spot And we could do the thing Internet date chat I'm your mate chat Download the app, shawty You ain't gotta wait chat I love it when you hold me Ain't plan emoji You could be the young hot thing I'll be the OG Girl, you look good Want you vax that thing up Use a handsome young brother Want you vax that thing up I think we got the point here I think we basically get the idea. Use a handsome young brother. Why, why don't you vax that thing up? That's not creepy at all. I'm just wondering, is there anyone who wasn't convinced so far about vaccinations and, and but will be convinced by this? Who are we even trying to, to, to convince at this point with these sorts of things? Who is the person? 
at this point, the vaccine's been out for months, readily available for months. Everyone knows that it's there. They know where they can get it. They know all, they know the whole spiel. And yet there are plenty of people who, for one reason or another, said, I, I, don't, I don't want it. Not interested. Thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. So is there anyone who has held that position for months now and is now going to say, well, after seeing that, they're going to say, well, you know, you raise a good point. Perhaps I should indeed vax that thing up. I don't know who that person is. Maybe they call, calls his wife up. Hey, honey, I know we said we weren't doing the vaccine, but uh, listen, I just heard this song and he, and, he, and he was bringing up the point that we need to vax that thing up. And I'm, I'm starting to think maybe we really should. Somehow I doubt that that conversation is happening, but I, I could be wrong. Let's go down to reading the YouTube comments. Um, Dylan says, Matt, do you know what kind of car Ben drives? I've always imagined him in something classy like a BMW. Oh, and please spare me. I already know that you drive a minivan, a.k.a. the dad wagon. I don't know what kind of car Ben drives, but um, please don't stereotype me. I don't drive a minivan, in fact. I have nothing against minivans. This is the struggle that everyone goes through when they get into like middle age and they're ha- they're having kids, you know. And once you get to like three or four kids, um, you, you start to realize that you got to make the minivan move. And but but a lot of people don't want to do that. They they have some prejudice against minivans that I don't understand. My wife is in that category. She absolutely refuses. We have four kids, and we cram them into SUVs. She refuses to get a minivan. I don't understand why. They're practical. They're handsome vehicles. What's the problem? Um, Ashley says, pre-K is unnecessary and kindergarten probably is as well. Then if you homeschool, you can move through the grades quicker and get your GED at a younger age. Honestly, 12 years is too much. Yeah, we, we're expanding public education to 14 years, 16 years. Uh, we got to get the kids in younger and younger. Really, it should be less, and that's true. And, and this, this is something that people, when they start homeschooling, I hear this all the time from homeschool parents, that they're shocked by, by, especially if they went to public school themselves or if they had their kids in public school and they pulled them out, they're shocked when they realize just how much time is wasted in public school. Because you have your curriculum, and especially when your kids are younger, you know, they're in first, second grade in that elementary school age, you can, you can give them a full, days of edu- a full day of education in a couple of hours. You, give, you can give them the same amount of education that they will get if they were in, in a public school building or more, only you could do it in two hours or less as opposed to seven. And why is that? Because there's just so much time wasted in these classrooms on subjects that are irrelevant. They're watching movies. They're, you know, they got to go from classroom to classroom in the hallways. They got lunch. They got gym. They got this and that. Um... Just a lot, a lot of busy work. You cut all that out, and you realize that 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 right now there's kids are in school for longer than they need to be, a lot longer. And yeah, pre-K is just daycare. A three or four year old kid. There's there's no kind of formal sit down education that you're going to give to a four year old. Um. At, at that age, at, at that age, you know how kids learn. They learn through playing. You you learn education is through through just being kids and playing games. That's how they learn. 
And no, you don't need to be in a, in a classroom setting in order to do that. Um, T. Loco says, Matt, gotta say, I lost a ton of respect for you with your comments on the peacock story. Killing a bird because it's doing what it naturally does is no reason to kill it. Would you want to live next to neighbors like that? Hope they hang the bastards who killed it and paid for the contract. Really? Really, T. Loco? The person who killed a peacock, you want to hang them. You think they should be killed. But eye for eye here, blood for blood, a peacock for a human life, that's what you think? Yeah, I got a lot of backlash for my position on the peacock story. There was a peacock that had been terrorized. If you didn't watch the show yesterday, there was a peacock that had been terrorizing this neighborhood. Um, and peacocks, yeah, they have pretty beautiful flat feathers, but they also make a really loud, annoying sound, and they don't shut up. And so this peacock had been visiting this neighborhood for six years, tormenting people at all hours of the day. And finally, someone put an ad out on Craigslist and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for someone who could just kill this peacock, hired a peacock assassin, and next thing you know, the peacock was taken care of. And I fully support that. I, I support your right to kill annoying peacocks. I do. And listen, T. Loco, you... Like I said yesterday, I know damn well, and so do you, that if this was a vulture or a crow, you know, if there was some crow that had been going through people's garbage or or even a, a wild turkey, some ugly animal that doesn't have the pretty feathers, you wouldn't care that anyone shot it. You would say, oh, that's a pest. We have some animals that are pests and some animals that are not. And if you kill the pests, it's okay. But if you kill the animals that aren't pests, it's bad. How do we determine the pest from the non-pest? Mostly it's just whichever one we think is cute. So uh, a lot of backlash for that. I, I'm, I am unwavering, though, in my, my stance on this and my support for, um, for murdering peacocks. Only the annoying ones. Okay, I'm not saying if someone has a peacock farm, I'm not saying you, just, you can go there and just start, start firing away. I, I'm just saying. The ones who are pests. I support that. And then, um, in fact, uh, our producers, McKenna and Sean, put a... So I thought that I was in the minority, but they put a poll up under the comments there. And I guess, what was it? Was it, was it a 25 to 21 in favor of killing the peacock? That's what I was told. Okay, 25 to 21. So I, I'm not fully in the minority like I thought I was. Um, and then finally, Aaron says, my siblings have used peacock calls to get each other's attention for years. Very distinct sound. My siblings have used peacock calls to get each other's attention. Are your siblings peacocks? Are they humans? Why not just use each other's names? What? How do you put that in the comments like it's a normal thing? With, with no explanation? No context? Oh yeah, my, my siblings always use peacock calls. What? Are they adults? So you're at Thanksgiving dinner and you're, and you're using peacock calls to each other across the table? Do you have names? What kind of bizarre thing is that? All right. Well, thanks for watching anyway, Aaron. Oh, one other thing. Um, I also wanted to mention this. This is pretty exciting. So this was presented to me yesterday. You, you know that, uh, it, that we recently decided if you're a fan of this show, you are a member of the Sweet Baby Gang. That's the name. Whether you like it or not, if you're, if you're in the audience, you're part of the Sweet Baby Gang. Uh, how did we come up with that name? It's, it's, you have to be there. It's an inside joke. I'm not going to get into it. I don't even remember where this came from, but it's the sweet baby gang. That's what we are. And, uh, there have been people in the comments for, for weeks now, uh, begging for sweet baby gang merchandise. 
And this was presented to me yesterday, and we finally have it, sort of. Um, I guess I'll show that. Here's the bicep cam, and I think maybe you could probably see better. So that's the Sweet Baby Gang shirt. It says Sweet Baby Gang. And then I was shown this shirt, and uh, I, it's a beautiful shirt, and it's also viscerally deeply disturbing at the same time. Because there is me with a diaper on crawling on the ground. So I, I, I'm disturbed by it. I'm horrified. Um, but I also like it at the same time. So, now this is not for sale, though. This is just for me. We haven't actually put these on sale. So, this is merchandise just for me. If, but if you want, sweet baby gang, if you want that shirt, then you have to just, you have to let us know. Cry out for it in the comments, and uh, maybe I can convince them to actually put this. I don't know if the, if the company would be too embarrassed to sell this, or it's just too weird. I'm not sure, but we'll, uh, we'll see. You know, if you're the do-it-yourselfer type, especially when it comes to cars, then uh, then you know you, you might find yourself needing auto parts. Where do you get them? Well, the, the, what most people do is they just get in the car and they go to an auto parts store. But the problem, as I'm always telling you, is that you go there, you're wasting time, you're wasting money because the stuff's going to be more expensive than uh, it otherwise should be. And they're also probably not going to have what you need in stock. They're not going to have the kind of selection that they do at rockauto.com, which you can access Anytime, um, just on your phone, on your laptop, it's as easy as that. Just go to rockauto.com. They always offer the lowest prices possible. If you find it at rockauto.com, you don't need to keep uh, window shopping because you know that you found the best price possible. They're also a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The catalog is unique. It's very easy for anyone to navigate, and you can quickly see everything you could be looking for, all the parts available, and you can specify based on the brand, the specifications, the prices you prefer. You can narrow it down that way, so it's very easy to do. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Here's something else you could do after you go to rockauto.com. Pick up Michael Knowles' new book, which you may have heard him mention a time or two. It's now out, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And this is all about... You know, we, we hear about political correctness. Um, most people say that they're against it. But with uh, with speechless, controlling words, controlling minds, if you haven't picked up a copy, now's the time to do it. The book takes you through the origins of political correctness and why it's absolutely essential that we stand up and fight its insidious spread into every public institution in America. Because if we don't, the consequences are waiting for us and our children in the not-too-distant future. If you don't know where to start, don't worry, because in the book, Michael Knowles gives you the tools you need to understand and spot political correctness in order to stop it. Uh, it's a great book, a lot of great insight. And uh, so pick up a copy now, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available everywhere right now. If you don't want to make a trip to the bookstore, you can always pick it up on Amazon in hardcover and Kindle edition right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel... Scarlett Johansson. Uh, She's doing the media rounds to promote her new superhero movie, which is, I believe, the 94th film in the Marvel Extended Universe. Interestingly enough, even though it has produced so many movies, it turns out that this universe is quite small because all of the movies are exactly the same. They all have the same basic plot and action sequences and message. Not to spoil anything, but the message for all of these movies, to summarize, is bad guy is bad. Punch bad guy. Kick bad guy. Good guy win. The end. Now buy the merchandise. That's basically the message Um, and the point of all these movies. Now, I I may be selling Marvel a little short here because sometimes the movies do have a deeper message, which brings us to Scarlett Johansson. 
and her interview with Glamour magazine. She was asked about the deeper themes and messages of her new film, Black Widow, which is a movie about an attractive woman in a leather jumpsuit kick- kicking people. At least that's what, it, that's what it's about on the surface. But what is the film really saying? What is it truly trying to convey about the nature of kicking and jumpsuits and hot blonde chicks? Here's Johansson trying to explain. Well, I do think the film is inherently female, be- partly because of Kate Shortland directing it. It definitely has, um, you know, it sheds light on, it sheds light on a, uh, you know, um, on an imbalance, I think, that uh, women feel like inherently because of how our society is mm. has been forever, thousands and thousands of years. And, um, you know, the movie is about the subjugation of women and, um, you know, the trauma that uh, we have to help one another out of. Oh, okay. Now, to be fair to Scarlett here, the actual question she was asked verbatim, this was a question. How important is it to push the conversation around gendered superheroes? That question doesn't mean anything. She was apparently being interviewed by a random progressive buzzword generator. So she did her best to, uh, to, to take the discussion to someplace that was moderately intelligible. But she was hobbled again by the fact that the movie she's promoting is incredibly bad and stupid and exists almost entirely as a vehicle to sell toys and promote the brand. That's all Marvel movies. Marvel movies are made by algorithms, not people. I would respect her if she just said that, but she can't. So instead, she reaches for some kind of socially conscious message. And she kept reaching in response to the next question, which was, again, verbatim, what have you been your own, when have you been your own ally the most? That was the question. When have you been your own ally the most? So once again, the question makes no sense, but here's what she said. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think you have to be all the, as as a woman, you have to be all the time. Um, You know, because we are underminded and underserved and underappreciated and underpaid and you have to be your own ally. Um, You know, my mom instilled that in me from when I was really, really young um, because of course she'd experienced it even more severely than Mm. I, than I did. And you know, equal pay is a huge part of of that fight. Um, when I even when I was a teenager in the industry, or a young woman, I should say, my mom, you know, would have those conversations like, "What? Why is she not getting?" You know, the, it had never had anything to do. You know, there was always these these like key, these little key terms like um, you know bankability and you know box office draw, and those are all. Uh, way, those are all terms that are basically masquerading as sexism. Okay. Um, undermined, underserved, underappreciated, underpaid. This poor woman. I might have to start another GoFundMe, I'm thinking. She can barely make ends meet. She's on the verge of starvation. Nobody appreciates her or serves her or pays her. This is a real problem. I saw Scarlett Johansson out on a street corner just the other day, huddled under a blanket with a jar full of coins. Uh, you know, it, 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 or I think it was Scarlett Johansson. It might have been, might have been just a drunk guy. I don't know. But consider this and get ready to burst into tears when you hear this. Scarlett Johansson only makes 
about $50 million a year. At least that's what she earned in 2019. Only $50 million. This is a real-life handmaid's tale. This is the patriarchy, plain as day. We are living in a country where a woman can only make $50 million in a calendar year. Now, you might say that $50 million is quite a lot of money. You might say that Scarlett Johansson, rich, beautiful, famous, beloved, not beloved by me especially, but but by other people, um, you might say that she, she should simply be happy and grateful because life has granted her all of the material blessings a person can ever hope to be given. But the problem for Johansson is that although she has so much, still other people have more. Yes, she makes a ton of money off of her Marvel films, but male action heroes, male action stars make two tons of money. They make even more. And it must be because of sexism, she says. Yes, it must. Or maybe women in Hollywood generally get paid less, still a lot, but less, because the movies that make all the money are action movies, especially superhero movies. And those kinds of movies are more successful. That is, more people watch them, they sell more tickets, they get more downloads on streaming, when they star men. In other words, male stars get paid more because they're worth more in terms of pure dollars and cents. The, the Daily Wire article reporting on this story gives the example of the two most recent films starring new superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Um, the former earned $700 million domestically, while the latter earned $427 million. The former was led by a man, the latter by a woman. And these are that's generally how these things go. Why? Well, I think it's because audiences in general mostly prefer to see men in these kinds of roles. Most members of the audience would never say that because they can't say that, but the box office speaks for itself. Um, generally, that's what the audience wants. The studios and Hollywood, that's not what they want. That's not what they want us to want as an audience, but it is what the audience wants. Part of that is because the studios, why are the, the female action movies and superhero movies less popular? Part of that is because the studios can't help but inject a bunch of cringy girl power stuff into the female action movies. And so audiences are turned off by that, while the, the male action movies will just be action movies. But also part of it is that men, most of the time, from the audience's perspective, make more compelling and convincing action heroes. Perhaps it's mentally exhausting for the audience to watch a 112-pound blonde woman in this kind of role because you have to strain a bit to take the movie seriously when she's beating up like 14 armed thugs at once. You don't have to strain quite as much watching like The Rock do the same, even though it's fiction in both cases. I'm just speculating here. Whatever the reason, the fact is that these sorts of movies, when there is a man in the starring role, tend to perform better. Audiences tend to be more interested. So those stars get paid a little more. It's not sexism, it's economics. And that's why I must say to Scarlett Johansson, not because she's a woman, but just because she's a whiny, entitled narcissist, you are canceled. Scarlett Johansson is canceled. Grad students are canceled. But you know who is not canceled? The sweet baby gang. Thanks for watching, as always. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs>